Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co-founder and the CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. The Unconventional Leadership Podcast boldly tackles the top-of-mind issues leaders face daily. Through insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's world. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional leader. Thank you, everyone, for joining this week's episode of the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. I have the pleasure to be back in the studio with best-selling author, Dr. Kimberly Luce. She's the founder and president of Strategic Ethical Solutions. She's also a member of the faculty here at the Talent Magnet Institute. Areas of specialization include trauma-informed care, strategic planning, executive coaching, and personal empowerment personal empowerment. Thank you so much for being here. Mike, it's such a pleasure to be back. I always enjoy speaking with you and visiting with you and with my work with the Talent Magnet Institute, just being connected to the folks that you reach. It's really enriching my personal and professional journey. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. It's such a pleasure to hear the stories of others that you're impacting in the work that you do with us and the work that you do in, in continuation with all of your expertise. Today's discussion, I really want to focus on the topic that you brought up, which is moral compass. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to define it a little bit for our listeners and then have follow-up questions on that. So can you describe the importance, what is and what is the importance of your moral compass? So this is work that I got involved with about a decade ago now. And I became very conscious of this because I'll tell you, I really hadn't thought about it myself professionally or personally hmm. until I went through a deep dive into training. And I want to give credit to the Sherpa executive coaching team. They're right here locally in greater Cincinnati. I went through the cohort with them in, gosh, I guess about 10 years ago now. And in the training, they take you through the executive coaching process that they teach you how to then use for other folks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they did first, and it's really, unless you have something unique, it's how I usually begin every coaching session with somebody. And they call it why it matters. And I want to do a little promo. This is not for me. This is for Brenda Corbett and Jen Schlopik. I think it's Schlopik, but Brenda Corbett, who's with Sherpa, of course, one of the founders. This book is called Why It Matters, The Sherpa Guide to What You Are Looking For. Mm -hmm. And when they started that exercise with me, they're like, we're going to help you identify your why it matters, which to me isn't, you know, an English whole sentence. Like, what are you talking about? Why it matters. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about where does your moral compass lie? Mm -hmm. And it's exercises and reflections to take you really all the way back through all of your journeys to think about what has contributed to your moral compass, to your non-negotiables, if you will, to where you get into gray areas where you're like, oh, this is feeling uncomfortable or some part of me sort of knows this might not be the right way to treat somebody or behave in a way, in a role. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't take time to figure out your why it matters, what is your base that's driving you, you can quickly get it crosshairs with it. Say you find yourself employed somewhere that is asking you to do something that maybe isn't going to put you in white collar prison, but you just know it's the wrong thing to do, mm -hmm. right? And how do you, if you don't know where your moral compass lies, if you're trying to figure that out under duress, it really can, it can be very complex and maybe not get you where you need to go. 
part of what you, you do with the Why It Matters, there's an exercise where you write down what your talents are, what your where your treasures lie, what is important to you, what your value systems are. They make you rank order your values and force choices. So you can't say, well, I value love and financial security and you have to rank order them. And so it's hard work. But the idea is to distill it down to one sentence, and it might not even be a whole sentence, that you can put on a sticky note and put on your mirror in the morning in the bathroom mm -hmm. so that you remember your why it matters. I struggled, and most people do struggle. And an example I'll give you is most people, when they're trying to distill down what their why it matters is, they get the end of the sentence before they get the beginning. And I'll give you an example. I was working with a CEO once, new to his role as a CEO, first time in the top role. And he, he followed somebody that was a very micromanaging CEO. So the entire executive team was always in his door. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's okay if I do this? Are you all right if I do that? And he was so frustrated because by nature, he made decisions and wanted to be empowered to do it, didn't want the board micromanaging him. And so as we worked together, I'd, he'd, I'd say, you know, we're trying to get your why it matters. And he'd say things like, the thing that's the most important to me in this role, why it matters to me is I want my people empowered to make their own decisions. And I said, that's the end of the sentence. And he'd get so frustrated and another week would go by. And then he'd say, my why it matters, I figured it out. It's I want people to know that they are empowered to lead their own teams. And I said, that's still the end of the sentence. And after a lot of blood, sweat and tears, it does finally come to the surface. His why it matters was to lead by example. So my team knows they can make their own decisions to lead by example, the way he was a leader so that my people feel empowered to lead their teams. Do you see what I mean? So mm -hmm. people will get like the end of the sentence pretty easily, but that elusive first part is where your moral compass lies. What is the core thing, whether it's professional, personal, lots of times they overlap, where you know that if you get out of alignment with that, you're going to be frustrated and not productive. And, you know, what do people do? Start looking for other jobs and hoping that the next place is something else. But if they don't know why they're in that situation to begin with, they'll probably land in the same role in a new place, hmm. the same space. So Kimberly, as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this episode and I'm going, okay, what is that? Is that my value system? Is that my inner core of what all of my values aligns to? Yes. Like how yes. how deep is the the moral compass? Like is you know we talk about values often. Why do I you know what are the things that I hold most true? That that if I feel out of line with, I know like ooh something doesn't feel right. Sometimes I may not be able to put my finger on it. But walk me through just a little bit deeper of how I find and identify my personal moral moral compass. And so. It is all of those things that you said, and I would even introduce that it's more, it's individual for each person, but what we're trying to find is that place where if you cross that boundary within yourself, you're not gonna be able to sleep at night. You know that's not right to treat somebody in a certain sort of way. You know it's not a big part of this is teaching people how to treat you, right? Mm -hmm. So we're always struggling with how do we act and behave towards others, but it's also, how do you allow people to treat you? They know that if they go past a certain line, you're gonna put your hand up and you're gonna say something, mm. which can be hard. So as you, and when we talked about trauma-informed care, we talked about the fact that trauma can actually cause a moral injury for people that mm. they carry. So sometimes these moral compass, where it lies, comes out of examining when you've been morally injured and figuring out if I unwrap that, what could I have done differently that that would have mm -hmm. not gotten to that point? When I was going through this, I had come mm -hmm. out of a situation where I was part of a executive team and some members were not being held accountable and they weren't behaving in ways that were good. 
And I could put my finger on one of them for sure. And that person went to white collar jail. So it wasn't just me that thought it wasn't good. You know, as it turns out, you shouldn't use state funds to buy computer equipment and sell it on eBay, you know. So that's yeah, not good. That doesn't work out for right. you. That's yeah. not good. So if you drill down, when I was going through mine, and I freely share mine, some people are very private about theirs, but my why it matters, I drilled it down. If you can get it to three words or shorter, it's more powerful the shorter it is. You don't want it to ramble. But my, my beginning of my sentence, my why it matters, turned out to be to model integrity. So that's, that's where I landed for me. I want to model integrity. And so if I do something that is not in alignment with that, I always preface with new folks that I interact with. If something sends a flag up a pole with you that I'm not behaving in a way that models integrity, it's because I truly don't know, which I make mistakes. And so if you're feeling like something is right that I am contributing to, please tell me. And I will yeah. adjust and we can talk about it. But, you know, to if I really want to get out of alignment with myself personally, it would be to stand up or to stand silent when I know I need to stand up. Mm. When I see something, know something, witness something. Mm. If I don't come forward and stand up, I'm going to be walking the floors at three in the morning because I know that that's not the way that somebody should behave if they're mm. going to model integrity. So what happens over time if we live in the the energy, the opposite of, or we live against, I guess, what is our moral compass? So we're in an environment, whether it's work or personal, where there's a series of decisions that are fighting against to where it's almost like, oh, I don't know, maybe this is the uncomfortable space that I need to live in. I mean, I assume there are people in that space with decisions that they're consistently making that go completely against their it, true internal heart-led, soul-led moral compass. And, and here's where I see that most commonly. And here's where I got caught up in that, in that example I was talking about before I finally stood up. People get terrified that if they speak up, they may lose their position. If it's in the professional setting, well, if you're separated from your position and your livelihood and your income, then what are you going to do when it's time yeah. to pay the mortgage? What are you going to do when you have a family that you're supporting? And so people by fear start behaving in ways that they're like, I'm just going to ignore that it's happening or I'm not personally doing it. I'm just seeing it. So they might make decisions based out of fear that they are going to be somehow harmed their reputation, their livelihood, their ability to support themselves and their families, mm. people depending on them. And what I have seen most commonly, which is really unfortunate, is that folks may stay in that negative bad space and usually something happens that ends that anyway. So that's the worst case scenario. You violate your moral compass and end up separated from that role anyway. And you've mm. seen the train coming down the track but you didn't stand up and then whatever happens, there's a leadership change, it comes to light, somebody steps in, the board, something happens and they, they do. The other, the other piece I've seen is when people do stand up and in retaliation, they lose their role. And that can usually be addressed and corrected, but it takes time, as you know, in the HR world. And so if you're, it, one of the quotes I like here in the book the way you think, the way you act, and the way you feel can all be made better if you do this work to identify where it is that you stand in this space. And mm -hmm. you know that from yourself, your personal, because trying to do it under yeah. duress is really difficult. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. And so this comes from when you journal, when you look back, when you start to think about, okay, I'm going to, because it's drilling down. And it's that phrase I said to you earlier, it's simple, but not easy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it'd be so easy to just jot it down and go like, well, I know what, but, but it's not that easy. And of course, as you traverse your life and different things happen as you grow and evolve and develop and witness yeah. things, you know, we've all just lived through the pandemic, all the things that happen your moral compass 
will get stronger and stronger. One thing that I've learned is that when you stand in the space that you know is right, I've seen this in myself, but in others as well, Mm. no matter what happens, you know that you're on the right side of your moral compass. And when you come through that storm, it does build the foundation to tell you, I'm going to follow what I know is the right thing to do. And I know what the right thing is for me because I've put the work in to figure it out. It takes self-reflection and we're not real good at that, especially in this hectic time. So you have to really take that time where you can sit down. I often challenge people. I'll, I'll ask people when I'm doing a presentation, I'll ask a room full of people, how many of you have time for yourself on your calendar? And people's hands go up. And when I say eating and showering doesn't count and sleeping doesn't count, hands all start to go down, right? And then I'll have a few hands up and I say, and if you use it as a placeholder and every time it's your hour, it's a placeholder you give it up to do for somebody else, for your boss, for your kids, for your dog, for your whatever. And you're laughing because you're probably one of these people, right? Right. If it's a placeholder and you're not guarding it the way you would that hour that you have devoted to your boss to get that project turned in on time, then it's not really your time that you're scheduling. And so mm-hmm. putting that time on for self-reflection, some people, they like to walk and talk into a recorder. Other people like to curl up and journal, but it's really important to get the process going and to take time to actually get it down somewhere, then you go back and you look at it and keep refining it because you will get the end of the sentence before you get your why it matters. It just, I've seen it over and over. Yeah. I find Kimberly with what you just referenced, my whole journey around mindfulness, um, train, you know, it's trained me like this morning, I did two meditations before one during while I was getting ready. And one, when I had a little bit of downtime, I wanted to do some breath work to get my day prepared. But five years ago, I didn't do any of that. Right. I was just running, just chasing everything I could, you know, never would last year. I went on a three week vacation with my family. I've never gone out of the office longer than a week, my entire 20 two years of my career. And with what you said, usually it's a, it's at a point in time where you say, I really need to evaluate this. Mm-hmm. Many that comes in terms of coaching, comes in terms of engaging an expert to ask for advice, to say, I need some support. An organization hiring a coaching team like we have at the Talent Magnet Institute to come in and work with our leaders, help them be better, help them improve themselves so that they can improve the culture that we have here. Usually there's people on that team that have had that same enlightening experience at some point in their life. So one of my advisors recommended that I read a book by a now friend, his name's Scott Eblen, called Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative. I've had him on in a previous episode. And that started me a whole journey that I went on for probably two years to what I would say as you're unpacking this to really understand what my moral compass is and how my values, how my decisions, how my energy level, my emotions, you know, when I'm off, where does, what, what does that mean? What do I need to really assess if I'm off of what's affecting me? Is it something that I've seen in seen experienced? Is it something that I'm taking in because someone else is experiencing in their life and I'm carrying a lot of that energy and emotion with me? Is it just pure, you know, in some cases there are people that are just unsatisfied with their lives and their work and their, and their frustration. And that manifests, manifests itself in our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual and emotional health. And it's why we spend so much time here talking about this topic, because as you and I both know, if we can get a team who understands this, if I can create a culture where our organization understands who we are and what we believe in and why we come together to do what we do, right? Not just why the organization does what it does and you're going to align to it, but I need to get people who have a similar belief system that believe and care about what we're doing so much that, you know, as I like to say, people know I'll try, I'll attempt 
to run through a brick wall for my team. It probably won't work out so well, right? And then I'll end up injured and have to have surgery again or go through <laughs> something physically. But, but you know what? I believe in this team so much and our mission and our purpose. And I have to say in all of this work that you're describing for me, it really comes down to one of our core values, which is people matter. Mm-hmm right? People really matter. And we're trying to change. And you know why you're on the mission with us is we're trying to change that people really matter. Let's really impact their lives for the better. Let's support them. Let's come alongside of them. Let's help them figure out their moral compass and why their values are what they are and why the trauma that they've experienced throughout their life continues to make them act and react certain ways. Let's really unpack people because people matter. So what happens when you find yourself out of alignment in your workplace? And how do I balance this? Do I need to move on? Or has the universe and the good Lord above put me in this place because this is where he needs me to refine me to to maybe I can be the light in an environment. So how do I balance the fight or flight? Right. Do I do I stay and work on it and influence, you know, as a quote, I like to say, Kimberly, are you the leader that you want to show up tomorrow? Right. Right. Exactly. And so when you're talking about identifying your moral compass, really that work, if you can do that a step ahead of getting familiar with what trauma is and does all the things you're describing, like the moral injury that you see, you know, we know that there's original, re-triggered, and vicarious trauma, the three different kinds that are identified. So the vicarious trauma by watching something happen that's awful to somebody else or something else, and then, you know, taking some of that in, and so then you start to behave in different ways. So I would say my litmus test in an organization is to start with the leadership And there are great leaders out there that believe, as you do, that this is the way we want to put our organization together so people know that they will be treated with this set of values and standards if they're here. And that if we show up, if if Mike shows up and he's grouchy and grumpy, we're going to take that step back and from a trauma-informed lens say, that doesn't seem like Mike does it. I wonder what's happened to him instead of continuing to tear you or that person down because they're grouchy or grumpy, right? And we're going to, when you know where your value systems lie and you've spent time in reflection and you've spent time going now, is this particular value something that is positive or is it reactionary because of something that's happened to me? Is it something I maybe need to work on and try to shift You know, we all know folks that have become quite jaded by things they experience in life and and behave different ways. There's been twice in my professional life where I've seen people separated from their jobs that made an ultimate decision to take their life as a result because they, they could not separate, figure out who they were separate from what their job title or the prestige or what they thought that was because they didn't have those They don't realize intrinsically you're a human being first, right? And your job's Mm -hmm. over here. And what your work that I value so much is that you are trying to go in and provide. There's so much data-driven material. This isn't just something I think is nice to do. It's something that people have spent careers researching and showing and demonstrating that if you implement this, that it will definitely improve the work environment. Now, if you don't have the leadership on board though, it isn't going to work. And that's something that's hard to say to somebody because sometimes it may be time to just cut your losses, but that can be scary. And then Mm -hmm. figuring out how to share that narrative with possible next employer and how far you, you, you share, well, this was my journey because you do need people to know you before they are willing to, you know, this. you have to build your base of trust with somebody before yeah. you can, you, you don't walk into somebody you don't know and share something that's very deeply personal mm. right away because they may walk away thinking, 
hmm, that may not be the best stable employee, even though right. you're coming, you know, they don't know you yet. So that litmus test for me is always that discussion with the leadership. I use Talent Magnet Institute as an example of, do you want to be a talent magnet? Because ultimately this will create an environment that will attack, attract top people. And if you have an environment that's going the opposite way, where people are having their moral compass violated, people talent and, and a choice will go somewhere else. People that don't will stay. And as a result, you know, the whole organization starts to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's I think it's critical to start with the leadership and see you know, are they willing to invest in this time? Is, it, is the annual training only checking off CPR training and things like that in hospitals, or do they have the diversity, education, justice, inclusion, trauma-informed care aspects to their training? Do they have this material there? The best situations I've seen are where they have embedded the trauma-informed care approach to their whole organization, hmm. where they can heighten people's awareness about how we react to each other so that you not only are taking care of yourself, but you're not further damaging another person by your reaction to them. Yeah, yeah. So Kimberly, there's a thank you for that. There's a few things I want to come, I took I took note of. The first, <laughs> the first part is there are you referenced a few people and, you know, prayers go out to their families of individuals who took their own life because of finding themselves lost, happened to be because of a separation of workplace. But that, there, as we all know, that's a deep, deep, deep pain, burden and experience that's living inside of them. And this was a, a trigger. So for anyone who feels concerned that you don't have your, I know, Kimberly, you call it your SOS people. I call it my 3am friends. You know, Kimberly and I are here, right? At some point in every speaking engagement I do, I always tell people that, hey, if you find yourself in some scenario where you feel like you don't have someone to turn to and you're burdened and you're hurting, feel free to call me. Right. So you just met a new friend here on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast inside of the Talent Magnet Institute. It's a big part of something that we stand for is being here for people because people matter. Um, the other component that you referenced is this. I describe it as like this is why conversations matter so much. This is why our leadership discussion cards that we've produced thousands of them at this point. And people are like, wow, this little printed discussion card that you that you use and, you know, that individuals can purchase and that we provide to our customers. It's to equip you with the small questions and conversation starters that create an environment and a culture that Kimberly just referenced where you know your people. Right. So that if Kimberly walks in one day and goes and, and I have team members that do this, they know that something's off with my rhythm, something's off with my energy, the way I'm holding myself, the way my face looks. If you know me because you've had conversations with me, you know that something's going on because I know where he is and I know how he's responding and I'm going to check in on him. You can't have those type of relationships unless you know your people. Again, as those listening and watching, think of the individuals that are around your workplace that you've simply just walked by this week and you don't know as well, or you felt a reaction in a meeting and you're like, I have no idea why he or she or they responded in this manner. Get to know them, right? Because if you get to know your people so well and you understand how they think and what it motivates them and what energizes them and how they respond, you know, oh, Anytime this happens in our world, Mike has a, a rough day the next day, or anytime this scenario comes up or this conversation happens, it triggers something in my employees and I need to know how to respond. Right. And I've dealt with it, you know, having launched a startup, you know, there's always a, a, a magic and a stress level and a piece of chaos around capital and around growth. And I've learned that certain people get triggered by that from their past experiences. You know, I just walk into the storm and have no idea sometimes the conversations I bring up and how it's going to impact people until I know the people in the room. So until you get to know the people in the room and those around you, 
And if you find yourself going, my leadership doesn't act that way, you can still be the one that does, okay. right? Kimberly, I was just talking yesterday to a friend and she was asking a question about a particular organization. And it was like, you know, part of our best work, the calls that I get that motivates me like nothing else is when a hiring manager calls or an executive calls that knows that we're involved in an organization and they say, I was wondering why these couple individuals keep showing up in meetings with a different pep in their step with additional confidence. And they're, they're really like gleaming, like they're shining in the room and people are like, wow, that was a great question. Mm -hmm. And then I dig in and go, what's going on? And they say, well, you know, I joined the Talent Magnet Institute six and a half months ago, and my coach and I have been doing some really great work together. And I recently attended a workshop on mindfulness that they put on. And I've been asking my team the questions from their discussion cards, like what's the most meaningful part of your job or share a positive experience you have had where you felt great strategic alignment. I'm having these conversations with my team. I just feel like I'm in a great place. There's nothing better than when we hear that kind of feedback, because that's the kind of environment that we are building because people matter, right? Yeah. But Kimberly, can you share with me a, a, have you seen individuals lean into the environments where they felt like they weren't supported and help turn the environment around, whether it's just for them and their team or for an organization as a whole? I have, but can I back up and do a little plug for Talent Magnet Institute? Just a little one. Yes, you may. Just a little one. Because um, I had the pleasure of being involved in an organization that retrain, retained Talent Magnet Institute, and I was working with one particular person. And they wanted to ask a question of leadership, but for whatever reason, they felt a little intimidated to do it. And I said, well, you know, they're, they're working with talent. The leadership has brought in this. They, they want to learn this. Why don't you just ask the question that you want to ask? And they texted me later that night and went, I asked, and they said, yes. And I'm like, right. The leadership is, is embracing it. And so when you've got that foundation, they can't do it if you don't ask. And the other thing before we move on to your question, I was going to just add, for the folks that are listening, when you find yourself being asked to be the SOS person, and sometimes, or the 3 a.m. friend, Sometimes it may be at 3 a.m. and it's the first time you've ever been asked. You get a call and it's just out of the clear blue. I really embrace the work of Brene Brown and she talks about the empathetic response. So if you find yourself in that situation, which I have years ago where I was like, I'm not even, hadn't done a lot of this work, not clear. And, and I remember it's just life changing to me when I heard her say, it's okay to say, I don't even know what to say to that, but I'm glad you shared it with me. Mm. And I'll just sit here in this space with you until we figure out a step forward. So yeah. the power of being enabled to say, I don't know, is so, because we can't, that, that thought that right. I've worked with leaders who have said to me, well, if I can't answer every question at a board meeting as president, I shouldn't be the president. I'm like, wow, where does that come from? Because you can't possibly have all the answers. Right. That's why you put good people around you that you trust. But right. to be able to say, I believe she depicts it, some of the language she uses is that somebody calls out and says, I'm stuck, I'm lost, I'm in the dark, I'm in a hole, help me. And maybe what you do is just climb down and sit in that darkness with them, which is very powerful and meaningful in a way That's to right. start out of the wilderness. And it might be the first time that anyone's done that with them. Right. Right. Because again, there's some individuals that hear something and we retreat right. because we're afraid of, oh, I've been there before and past, or I don't know what to do. And I, I retreat versus just sit there with them. Yeah. Because it, right? it, 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 you have to absorb some of it to sit there. And if somebody's vulnerable enough to share that with you, what she calls it is silver lining it, that we try to fix it because it makes us uncomfortable. And that the yeah. worst thing you can say is, well, you got fired, but at least you got three months severance. If you hear those two words coming out of your mouth, at least it's not the best response because you're trying to fix it. 
But, you know, I, I've used my personal example where we've had our six grown kids and one of them has really struggled with mental health and drug addiction. And I've had people say, well, at least five of your kids are doing well. That's not helpful, mm -hmm. but they're trying to be helpful. And so if we can be mindful of that. So I didn't mean to divert down another little path, no, but no. I just thought it was important because the first time somebody called me and I felt wholly inadequate until I realized if I would just be willing to be there with them, you know, the folks that make these, these, you know, end of life decisions that are so traumatic. I've, I've never heard of a case where somebody was with somebody when they did it. Every time I've heard of it in my personal life or anywhere else, somebody was found all alone somewhere after what I can't imagine would be the excruciating pain of arriving to this is where it has to go. And yeah. so I've never heard of that. So if you can be the one that, that feels empowered to say, I, I don't know what to do right now, but together we'll be stronger to figure it out. And by the way, I know some resources maybe you haven't heard of and, and start that conversation. So, yeah. so. Yeah, it's, it's so important to those listening that like, you're not alone. You're not the only one. You're not the only person going through any scenario in life, although it may feel like it, it right? Feels it like can it feel like lot. it. Yeah, it feels a lot. very real. Um, and your team needs to know that too, that when you create this environment where people matter, you know, all of us know the individuals or can be the individual who is that in, who is the talent magnet level leader, who's a holistic leader that everybody in your wake will look back and go, he care, he, she, they cared for me. I was sitting, I was actually speaking at a conference recently and a individual in the front row shared after the talk, she raised her hand in the Q and A. It was such a blessing to me. And she said, Mike, I'm on my seventh job. I'm in my first environment ever that I have felt cared for. I'm on my seventh job and I'm in my first environment ever that I felt cared for. So part of our mission is to create environments that provide the ones that say, I'm in the one that cares for me. Right. I'm in an environment and I'm surrounded by leaders who care. I joined the organization because I care, because I want to do more than just make a widget, create a product, deliver a service, design a technology. I'm here because I care about people. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the people, if you're in business and you're executing against any type of plan or strategy, no plan or strategy ever got accomplished without people. That's right. And, right? and, and when you have, we're all, when, when your employees become people that are damaged by coming to work. I mean, we've heard this term, the Sunday scaries, right? Where people are up on Sunday night sick because they know they have to go to work and that endless week and trying just to survive. And you and I both know in those environments, people can show up, clock in and be sitting in their seat, but they may not be doing a darn thing that's productive other than yeah. maybe fostering an ulcer, getting sick because the medical part of this is very real and it's proven. It's proven, yeah. it's proven in the medical data. And part of it is the cortisol that constantly drops into your system when you are living in that fight or flight that you talked yeah. about or fear that, you know, we were built so that cortisol would drop in your system when the velociraptor was coming around the corner to try to eat you for lunch and you'd hit the gas and you could get out of there and run and survive. But it wasn't, we are not built to have that foot on the gas all the time in a heightened state of stress, worried, sick about what the next day is going to bring. I, I worked one time with a, a this person isn't in business anymore. I'll say this, this was more than 15 years ago, but they had a culture of letting people go at Friday at 445, just, un, mm. just, just with a, just with an email. And by the time you picked it up, all your technology was turned off and they were, you know, tell, and there was no, it wasn't for wrongdoing. It was just, and I remember saying to this president, you know, your folks live in fear. And he said, well, that's just the way I like it. And I said, why? Yeah. You know, that is yeah. not leadership. Yeah. That is not leadership. 
Yeah. And everyone so often talks about their recruiting issues. They're, you know, the, our people won't do X, Y, and Z. We can't find enough people to. The reason why you can't could very well be your the toxicity that's in your culture. And I'm not saying that everyone has it, but some that may or some that go, you know, our employees are sick all the time mm -hmm. or there is a lot of stress. Hopefully you're not listening to this podcast and saying that's the way I like it. Right. Because right? if you're listening to this podcast, you're going, I'm striving to be the unconventional one. I'm striving to be the one that people look back and go, this is the best environment I ever worked in, even if they're no longer with you right. and they're now one of your ambassadors. Right. right? They, they can look back and go, if it weren't for that environment, I wouldn't be here. Right. If it weren't for that teacher, that boss, that mentor, that counselor, that coach, that family member, that peer, I wouldn't be here. That's the kind of leaders we talk about when we talk about unconventional leadership, when we talk about building talent magnet leaders. And if you're in an environment that you're like, I don't know if this is me. I don't know exactly where we are. I know what the data says. And all we do is look at our retention numbers are it's expensive that with the amount of turnover, this, that, and the other, we probably need to have a conversation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To Kimberly, the, the comment you made earlier about the leadership team that's invested in this type of coaching and development of their people, once your people have it, you give people, you as the manager, give people the confidence to ask the questions mm -hmm. because they know they can trust you and they feel safe. Right. That's what psychological safety looks like. That's right. That's exactly right. And they And it builds and it builds on that. And so those are the people that you find that are loyal to a fault, that know that they can come in and say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I just got a call and the news wasn't as, as good as I hoped from that test that I had last week at the doctor's office. They know they can tell you that and they're not going to be looked at differently. They're not going yeah. to, to feel like they have to behave in a way that's against their moral compass, their value system. They don't have to pretend that they are not in the space that they're in and they know that they're valued and that their work is valued, wow. right? We're whole yeah. people that come to work. And so, and we all come from a place of that damage that can happen to anybody throughout, you know, I, I don't know anybody with a perfect childhood. I don't know anybody with a perfect life. And you know, what's making it worse. I, 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 Here's my number one visual aid. This is what's making it worse because you look at this and it looks like everybody else maybe is doing it in a way that you can't. Mm. And most of the time it's not accurate. Yeah. It's not yeah. accurate. And I've seen it. You've seen this when you're out in the world and, and people will be squabbling or whatever kids are, but then somebody yells pose and they take a picture and that's what I know is on their Facebook later. I've watched total strangers do this. And so then if you're out that day and you're having a bad day and you can't manage things, but these other pictures look like the picture perfect, you know, my career is great. I have an excerpt I, I wanted to read out of my book, Losing Your Job Without Losing Your Mind. But one of the things that I said in here, a personal example, I had a colleague that I thought was on top of the world, happy, everything on social media was wonderful. And one day she called me and she said, you know, I'm ready to jump off the roof of my house. And I'm like, I, I'm like, it, 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 her forward face to the world and any interaction with me was always exactly the opposite. And then it was all around being stuck in an environment where the leadership was asking her to behave in ways that were against what she felt to be common and decent to people. You know, being asked to do things like target somebody to push them out of a job when they weren't doing anything wrong, those mm. kinds of things. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no wonder you're unhappy and feeling sick. That's right. That's right. And the conversation to have calling you as her SOS person, as your 3 a.m. friend to say, hey, I don't know who to turn to. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've surrounded ourselves here with people you can turn to people that you can trust, people that you can rely on, people who I'm hoping in every environment and every speaking engagement on every guest conversation, on any coaching environment, any consulting environment, any content we put out that people go, you know what, this is a team that can be trustworthy because we're trying to be the example that people matter. Right. 
right? That when we show up and we get to know the relationships around us, when we care so deeply about their success, about unlocking their potential, we also got to get right with ourselves first. We talk a lot about in much of our material around retention and becoming ambassadors that you got to like work on self first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of our guests that have been on the podcast that talk about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice say it's a heart problem. Like we've got to work on self first and we're all in a place. Don't judge others about where they are. Focus on how you respond Mm -hmm. in those conversations, how you respond when something's going on that you know is off your moral compass. What, what do you do when you're feeling isolated? How are you responding? Be the example of what life's really going on, right? People know that, hey, I love running a thousand miles an hour, but I crash sometimes, literally yeah. and figuratively. And I try to talk about that. I try to talk about the actual pain and suffering that is life that we all go through to let people know it's not roses and butterflies. Right. And if you think it is in anyone's, envi- in anyone's life, we're not promised roses and butterflies. We're promised trials and tribulations that make us get you know, that challenge us, that force us to learn about our moral compass first. The trauma piece, Mike, one of the things that we know for sure that's backed up by the data is trauma is compounded by isolationism. Mm. And that was why the pandemic was so crippling to so many, because when you're in those spaces alone, physically alone, alone, sent home to work by yourself, it's compounded. And so it all, it all, goes into a spiral if you don't have those connections that you're talking about. A really cool acronym that somebody, you know, the diversity education or diversity, equity, inclusion, people put these acronyms together. I heard a really cool one from an organization on the West Coast. And I don't know if they're going to have to pay royalties to George Lucas or not, but they call it their JEDI, Justice, Mm -hmm. Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. I thought that was quite clever. So another quick question, how do you define unconventional leadership? So I think it is really the definition of being strong enough to stand in your value system that you have to have done the work to know what that is, to know why you're behaving the way that you do. I think a major component of being an unconventional leader is being vulnerable enough to stand in front of your team and say, hey, I got this one wrong, right? Mm. And, and model that mistakes, what you're talking about, mistake, because people will follow the leader. That's what people do. We're taught to do that yeah. as little kids in school, we follow the leader. So if the leader stands up and portrays this example that's impossible to attain, usually because it's not truthful, then I think that you can have a very damaging effect on your team and the organization. So being vulnerable enough to stand up and say, I've done this work. I value that time. I want you to take your time to take care of yourself. We are going to approach each other with the trauma-informed lens. We are going to make sure that we set the example that we are not going to violate one another personally professionally, we are going to have this standard in this organization. And when you get here, we're going to onboard you and you'll know from day one. Mm -hmm. You'll know from day one. One of the things that I always encourage folks to do if they haven't is put those mentoring programs in place so that when you walk in new somewhere, you you get paired with somebody who has been through this journey that can help you to build those connections in the workplace and identify what they are. And you asked me before, and I don't think I answered it, and I might be able to to do it with just this little excerpt that you may have heard of because you're in all these spaces, but maybe the listeners haven't. When you said, how do you know when it's time to stand and be the light? And how do you know when it may be time, gosh, I need to make a change? And that making a change, I think, can be really scary for people. You know, maybe we're going to resign and say, this doesn't work for me. Some places aren't ready for all this yet, right? But this is one of the things, after I do a long presentation, I say to folks, buckle up, I'm going to read you five chapters out of my book. 
It's five short chapters. And I do want to say I got this from social media. And the only place I ever saw it was to somebody named Portia Nelson. So I always want to do what I can to give credit, but that's, I've never been able to find who that person is, but that's the name. So if you'll allow me, I'll say chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in, I'm lost, I'm hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in because it's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. I know it's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter mm. four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. And I think when you get to the place, you can do the work to know where your moral compass lies, know what your value system is, stay clear in your alignment there personally, treat others the way that you know is the right way, be open to, mm -hmm. hey, you did this and maybe you didn't realize, but it, it made me feel uncomfortable. It wasn't productive in the meeting. Be open because we all do it. We all have, mm -hmm. we all have things that we say that we don't mean, but you don't know if you can't be told. And then if you find yourself in that place where you know it isn't going to change and you're finding your, you know, people will say, my heart, my heart, my blood pressure's up. I'm not sleeping. My stomach's hurting, physically affected. You might want to walk down a different sidewalk and that's okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. To our listeners, thank you for being with us. I look forward to our next conversation. So many great, powerful resources and tools and things to reflect on. And we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. I always, always enjoy speaking with you, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenging the status quo. And we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.